Welcome to the Physics Teaching Podcast, the podcast for teachers of physics, made by physics teachers. Physics teachers like Thomas WP over there. Hello, Robin. <laughs> good evening, how are you? I'm good, I'm all of a dither. I'd like to apologise to the dear listener for my not pressing publish on the uh, podcast last week, so it came out 12 hours late. I was also excited because I'd done the whole episode on my new laptop that I'd set up Linux on, and I was feeling so geeky, and I forgot the last step, and that's nothing to do with the operating system at all. There you go, listener. Listen to that again and see if you can pick out the geekiest phrase in there. I think you'll be able to spot it. I think you will. So Thomas is a part-time teacher of uh, physics, mainly to A-level, but now there's a little bit of Year 7 going on. Yes. Uh, I'm Robin Griffiths. I'm a full-time teacher of physics. I teach Years 8 through to 13. And um, yeah, and in February, I'm kind of feeling it. I don't know about you. It's, it's kind of that time of year, isn't it? I never know what that means. Yeah, it's that time of year. It's February. Uh, I'm 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 lifting out of my despondency, which is good news. And I saw we forgot to talk about this last week, and I still want to talk about it. Physics in the news. Mm. There's that amazing picture of the surface of the sun, where each pixel was thirty kilometers, and that sounds like a big, a big, a big pixel. But the sun's pretty large. It is. I'm amazed that, that, that there is that level. Because the thing is, I've always imagined that the sun and the surface of the sun and the idea that it has a kind of fixed point at which it's, you know, beyond this point it's sun, after this point it's nothing. I, I always thought that was a bit of a, a misconception. I always assumed that the sun, the gas just got less and less and less dense as you went out. And, and we perceive the, the kind of glowing bit as the glowing bit. But, uh, but it seems it really does have a surface, which is interesting. Yeah, well, it has many layers, doesn't it? But it certainly has this sort of boiling layer that I've seen photos from far away. But what what struck me about this? I mean, it looks like a a bowl of <laughs> golden nuggets, doesn't it? But what <laughs> I thought it would be a some sort of space probe, but it's not. It's made by a telescope. It's actually made by a telescope. There is a there's a telescope pointing at the sun, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely. It's pointing, and it's that's its mission, and and that's its mission is to do that. And it, 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 you're absolutely right. It's really interesting, and I love that those people at NASA who've carefully crossed that, all of whom mm. we know are regular listeners to the physics teaching podcast, of course, will be sitting there going, "You said it looked like a bowl of golden nuggets. That's what it is. Ten years, sixty billion dollars, and you said it looked like a bowl of golden nuggets. But I know what you mean. It does. But I also look at the picture. I'm looking at my screen now, and you think. If you had that to that scale, how big would, would the surface of the sun be? And it's phenomenal. I mean, it's about the size of a postcard on my screen, and that's just a few hundred kilometres. So you think the sun's a hundred times wider than the planet Earth. Given that we are talking to an audience of physics teachers, I think it's fair to say that there are just some fantastic stats about the sun. Isn't it the, the chance of a hydrogen nucleus actually taking part in a fusion reaction is some vanishingly small number uh, and yet, the the amount of mass that the sun loses every single second due to the mass defect of every single one of those little fusion reactions is just phenomenal. So the, the stats are, are mind-boggling, absolutely mind-boggling. Yeah, there's nothing not mind-boggling about the sun. And then there's that video, wasn't there, isn't there on YouTube, which I've used in astronomy sometimes, which goes through the, the stars in order of size. And the sun's quite early. <laughs> By the end, it's not even visible as a pixel on the Earth. And you get up to the big ones like Betelgeuse, 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 yeah, exactly, yeah. Arcturus, or whatever it is. It's just ridiculous. 
That's what I was going to say. Perhaps most mind-bogglingly of all, and I've got the term mind-bogglingly into the podcast, so I'm happy with that, uh, is the fact that our sun is very, very average as a star. It's yes. just a bog-standard, middle-of-the-road, main-sequence star. You know, the average mid-table. It's the Sheffield Wednesday of, of, <laughs> of the... <laughs> that's what it is. It's just a sort of mid-table result, isn't it, really? So, yeah, and that, that's what I find amazing about it. It, it, our star, it is amazing, but it's just average i'm getting sidetracked here but i'm thinking about the discovery of helium and the, and the realization when they looked at the star and they realized it had the same spectrum as all the other all the stars in the sky and they looked at the sun it had exactly the same spectrum and it's like oh maybe we're not special love that moment in in science yes the the, the spectrum analysis thing is so neat and, and brilliant beautiful. and perfect it's, it's a lovely lovely piece of physics and i love letting the kids look at the spectroscope and see those emission spectra and then start to talk about absorption spectra and and start to look at all of those it's just really a lot of fun and i i have a problem <laughs> with the modern world because you, i used to have a really good practical where you cut a cd remember them into wedges mm. and you could turn that into a really nice spectroscope and the because the gap between the the lines on the cd was just right uh, but you can't get you see these used to come free in every magazine and you had uh, stacks and stacks and stacks of them but you don't anymore and you can't really hold mm. up an mp3 player and cut it into pieces and see a spectrum i'm sure some listeners probably have some simply red cds hanging around at home that, that you know, frankly could do with being safely disposed of so uh, if you'd like to send those into the podcast we'll safely turn those into spectral analyzers for you to make sure that they never <laughs> ever get put in hi-fi by speaks, speaks the retired dj anyway we digress now today we wanted to talk about density we thought we'd do a required practical for the younger exam students this would be year 10s we think or um what would that be a freshman in america yeah. and density is a funny one it seems quite simple but again there's all sorts of little wrinkles in it and I've had classes where you think, oh, they've done it in year eight and they've done it when they're 12 years old, they'll know it, and they come to GCSE and they're clueless on it. So you kind of have to teach it from scratch. Uh, and this certainly is a required practical with AQA. So, Robin, let's just run through it. Let's go take the low-hanging fruit. If I gave you a regular object like a wooden block that was a cube, how would you determine its density? I would determine its density by measuring the uh, sides of the cube and working out its volume mathematically and then measuring its mass on a mass balance, probably three times, just to make sure that there's good agreement, good precision, because repeated results mean precision, right? Am I right? Am I right? It's repeatability, isn't it? But I, I'll tell you how I teach accuracy and precision. This goes back to my degree and the best lecture I had at my degree, which is actually about quality control. Remember, I'm not really mm. a physicist or an engineer. I'm a manufacturing engineer, but I had this brilliant lecture. It made me want to be a quality control type person. don't know what happened there. So you are in the First World War. Uh, oh, I saw 1917. It's amazing. Uh, just amazing. Go see it. Uh, you mm. are in the First World War, and you are a sniper. And you wake mm -hmm. up, and you see another sniper sleeping against a tree you raise your rifle you fire six quick shots bang 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 you see them smash into the tree 10 centimeters to the left of his head in a cluster you could cover with a playing card yes that's that's precision he obviously wakes up he looks up he sees you he takes six shots bang 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 first one takes off your left little toe 
second one drills you through the shoulder. The third one clips your left earlobe. The fourth one hits you in the guts. The fifth one hits you in the palm of your right hand. And the sixth one drills you through the forehead. That's accuracy. Yes, because the average is the value. Yes. yes. So, so your shots are precise but inaccurate. Yes. His shots are imprecise but yes. accurate. Yes, that's right. That's that's my understanding of it. And there's a the poster going around. It's probably on half the listeners' wall. Is is a it's archery, isn't it? And, and yeah, it's a similar sort of idea. The cluster of arrows close together is precise, and the arrows in the target are accurate. And you obviously want both. Yes, you want precise and accurate, and that's that's, that's difficult to do. So going back to your wooden block, you've measured the dimensions carefully. Uh, you've mm-hmm. put it on a mass balance, you've taken repeats, and you've mm-hmm. got density by mass divided by volume. Yes. Uh, how would that change if I gave you a steel ball bearing? This ball bearing is only two millimetres diameter. Oh, small ball bearing. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah. Well, in which case, yeah, so that might be a case of, um, yes, maybe using some calipers. That would be an interesting thing to try and use. That would give you the... You can get the volume, 4,000 pi r cubed, with, with vernier, no problem. Probably A-levelly. It's a problem, isn't it? And my, my answer to that would be, please give me 400 more mm. oh. and count them carefully. That's a good plan, yes, absolutely. So get a lot of them, put them in Eureka can, yes, yes. Multiple measurements, always good. So Eureka can for... The listener doesn't know. Eureka! Mm. Who was that? Archimedes? No. Archimedes in his bath, yes. Yeah, Archimedes. The, uh, and then he, wasn't it was Archimedes who was murdered by the Romans? Was he? What have the I Romans ever so. done for us? <laughs> so, yes, I think he was killed by a Roman soldier. Uh, and I think because he was such a, a prized war asset, he, they were, weren't supposed to, but you know, in all the fog of war and all that. Anyway, mm. so Archimedes yelled Eureka because when he got in the bath, he realised that what? What did he realise? I thought he realised that, that, that there was that he was um, experiencing uh, buoyancy. I thought that was the, the the Eureka bit. I didn't think it was the fact that the bath overflowed. I thought it was, this was the, the thing. Everybody said, "Oh, you know, that he was displacing that amount of water." I thought the insight that he'd had was that the amount of water he displaced was actually the the weight of that was the buoyancy that he experienced. But I, yes, I don't that's, know if that's true. I mean, true. I wasn't there, but that's my understanding. As he realised mm. that he floated because he displaced. His yes. weight, I don't know whether it overflowed or not. Maybe that's the way people explain it. So Eureka can is just like a tall, in our school, a tall, thin can with a spout about two centimetres from the top. And the spout's at a particular angle pointing down. Uh, it doesn't go up and down like a teapot spout. Uh, a teapot's what we use to pour tea, American listener. Uh, tea is a hot drink, a hot drink uh, like beer. Yes, so, yes, the spout points down at about 45 degrees. So you've got a normal can, so you fill it up, and, of course, the water gushes out of the spout, and then you, you leave it to settle. And then you, you take your, and in this case, 400 bull bearings, and you carefully put them in to the Eureka can. Try not to splash it out. And you put a measuring cylinder under the spout. So you, you catch the displaced volume, which is, uh, in theory at least, the same volume as the 400 bull bearings that you've put in. Yes, or the anything that you put in that you want to know its volume. Yeah. Do you do you love Eureka cans, Robin? I sense. I sense not. I find them I, well. They're difficult because they they rarely give an accurate result. So measuring cylinders, I find notoriously difficult to get a decent result out of because usually you're trying to deal with a measuring cylinder that's way too big for the volume you're trying to measure, and 
some of the water splashed on the side of the measuring cylinder and there's surface tension and there's all this stuff going on and once the kids have used the measuring cylinder a couple of times it's got residual water in it so trying to get an accurate volume is really hard so your suggestion of using multiple ball bearings is a great one because there is a lot of inaccuracy in the Eureka cam. Yes, I agree with you on the measuring cylinder. You always end up with a far too big one, and then it's too tall because the, you've stood the reeky can by the sink, and then you think, well, maybe I should stand up something higher, and then you put it in the clamp stand, and it's just a lot of faff. Yes. So if you're going to use a reeky can, which you can get, I would say you can get accurate to two sig fig results you can do. Mm. You've got to think about that first and have a practice. It's not as easy as you think. But the kids can do it quite happily. How would you do the volume... Because, of course, in this, we're trying to get the volume of the object because we've got the mass. We can use a mass balance for the mass and then density is mass over volume. How would you do... And what if I gave you... Could, sorry, can, can, can I just break in, actually? Because what I'd, the one thing I'd do, if I had 200 tiny ball bearings, I'd just put them directly into a measuring cylinder and, and um, with the water um, and then see how much that's risen Ooh. by because that, that would... Um, well, it's just, you know, that that's an obvious one. But usually when you're using the Rika can, it's, it's to measure something irregular. And, it's yes. you know, typically this is a, a Mickey Mouse figure or a, um, a toy bicycle or something like this, you know, where, where you're, you're trying to work out something highly regular. If, it do, if you have a measuring cylinder that fits it, great. But that's yeah. not really the point. The Eureka cans are to measure proper, like, irregular stuff, aren't they? Yeah, so I, my next thing was going to say what I wanted the density of that foam packing material that you get. Mm. And the sort of S shape in polystyrene so how would you do that you put that in your eureka can it's just going to sit on the top of the water isn't it what do you do then yeah so this is yeah so what are you going to do so you've got to submerge it somehow but um do that with as little interruption as possible so it's all very well sort of putting a big fat finger on top of it and pushing it down into the water yeah, they but, uh, but that unfortunately it's going to make your volume measurement which was imprecise and inaccurate now even more imprecise and inaccurate so perhaps use and i suggested this really uh, and I'm, I'm not sure whether you're going to be convinced by it but using a, a tip of a sharpened pencil just to push it just below yeah. the surface what do you reckon? Yes, I was going to say, generally the lighter things are less dense and you can spear them. So yes, I would say a pin. Mm-hmm. But pin, if I've got good. something that's really awkward, like you know, one of those foam things might be a bit buoyant, I will ask the technician to give me something like a cotton reel that's a little bit smaller than the measuring cylinder, than the, a little bit smaller than the Eureka can, and just push it down so it's just at the surface of the water. But that again adds to your uncertainty you were talking about. Mm. This is the thing, a lot of uncertainty there, a lot of... And, and the Eureka can is a classic, isn't it? It's imprecise and inaccurate, because if you repeated it loads of times, you get very varying results uh, each time. And also, you can't really be sure that you're getting anywhere even close to the, the, the real value because there could be systematic errors like surface tension yeah. or what it, lost water or water sticking into the spout as it comes out, all these sorts of things. Yes, and I agree with you. I think you can get accurate results to two sig figs but i do think you have to be aware of all those problems and that comes kind of comes back to that cognitive load and mm. complexity that we've mentioned before you're right that the dribbles of water in the measuring cylinder and you know if you're measuring a small volume and you've got the small volume already in the measuring cylinder that's a problem spillage is a problem you can do it you just have to be really careful yes and careful and careful methodical practical technique is a good thing to encourage there but i think also i was going to say that the 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 lovely thing you can do after the event is of course start to draw all this out in discussion and i know what you mean during the practical you don't want to be talking about all this because the cognitive load is huge and and it's just poof, that everybody will be all over the place but afterwards you can say well what about this and what about that and what about this? and start talking about and teasing out those ideas about precision and accuracy and how you could improve those and how you might do better and what sort of things might help you 
One thing I have done which elicits discussion is get them to measure the density of plasticine using both methods. Mm. So they they can just squidge it up and chuck it in the water in the Eureka can, but then they can make a perfect cube as best they can or make a cylinder as best they can. That's really nice. And then they get similar but different results, and that's a good talking point. And presumably if you've got your... We used some rather nice natty metal blocks that were two centimetres by two centimetres by two centimetres. Yeah, they're great. In, the, in our density practice. And presumably you could use those both ways. You, you, can, you can measure and you can put them in the Eureka can. So you, you could compare both methods there. So, and again, that's nice extension work, particularly if you're working with a mixed ability group. So some of them you'd be, you'd be just hoping to get a measurement of density. Some of them you might take a little bit further and say, well, what about comparing the two methods? What about doing both of these? How do they compare? What do you think? You know, can you get some repeats? Can you compare them three or four times and have a look and see see what your results like? Lovely. I think we've we've uh, upset the Eureka Can fan club enough. Oh, you've upset your Eureka Can. Oh. <laughs> so if you wish to email us and complain about Eureka Cans, mm. please email us contact at thephysicsteachingpodcast dot com. Yes. Or tweet us at physics tp yes um, i thought we should we should put this out earlier in the podcast just just as a change and do like and share the podcast because i said that the other day and our listenership actually bounced because people thought oh i'll tell someone about it so do share it uh, if you're enjoying it so that'd be great thank you it's really lovely you know uh, the, the twitter tendrils that spread out and, and go around are really fantastic do you know who followed and i had i was actually going to mention this in the podcast today do you know who followed me on twitter today barack obama Gratnels, the people who make the trays in the labs. I was so chuffed <laughs> by that. <laughs> it's <not just> the <laughs> Gratnels, we love you. I used Gratnel trays today. I ordered 14 because I was doing the dice half-life experiment. Yes. And I didn't want to lose my little dice. Absolutely, Gratnels are great. And wouldn't it be lovely to get them on the podcast at some point? I don't know what we talk about, <laughs> but we can just go, you're from Gratnels, we love you. <laughs> yeah, we love them. What colours do you have? <laughs> yes. we, we, we have a simple thing. We have all ours are green. No other colours. Uh, all your Gratnels are green. It's like the Henry Ford Gratnel yeah. range, mm, you said. Yeah. Well, let's talk about measuring cylinders reminds me of what I did today. I, want, I wanted to ask you, actually, you know, I do a lot of practical work. I, I really like the ones where you'd measure something really obvious in a really stupid way mm. to skill them up. Yes. So I, I was teaching, I'm doing the upper six optional module, and where they chose um, turning points in physics, and that's the discovery of the electron, the charge, and the electron. So I was doing millicans today, and I was looking at all the millican stuff. I've never taught this before. I know the millican experiment. I even did it at school. Wow, well done. Not knowing what it was. Um, I remember it very clearly. So I thought, oh, you know, this is it's really interesting how he discovered the radius of the oil drops. Mm. So what he does is they they fall, and he measures the speed at which they fall. They're in free fall, so he knows that their weight is counteracted by the electric field that freezes them once he's measured their speed. But to get the radius, so he can get their weight, he uses an equation I've never heard of, the Stokes equation. Mm. You probably know that, you're a physics graduate. So so the Stokes equation is something like F equals 6 pi eta RV or something, uh, but he used the velocity and freefall to measure the the radius of the oil drop, and I thought, well, how can I use this? This is great. So we did a practical today to measure the radius of steel ball bearings by dropping them into glycerol. You just thought you'd you'd do it on on the terminal velocity that it reached through viscous fluid yeah. instead, because you know yeah. why not. Well, that's what he did. It was a perfect yeah. analogue for it. But it was amazing. So we had small 
you know, five different sizes. And we did them in order. And, of course, the first one takes about 30 seconds to sync. It was a tiny little thing. You could hardly see it. It took about 30 seconds. And I got them all to time it, so we had an average. And uh, the first one, we did it, worked it out, measured it. It was exactly the same to do six figs, exactly the same. Oh. We thought, ooh, ooh, that's interesting, because uh, we'd looked up the glycerol viscosity. So then we did the next one. That took about 15 seconds. Exactly the same to two sig figs. Wow. We're going, ooh. Then we did the third one, took about five seconds. Exactly the same to two sig figs. Like, oh, this is amazing. And it was only when the full, because the big one fell really quickly and we had, you know, we had 20% uncertainty in the timing that we began to drift away. But it was amazing. It was really, but it was great for skills because it was timing and it was average and it was vernier and it was, because they all got the verniers out and measured the balls at the end. It's a lovely thing to do, isn't it? And I feel that that uh, Patrick, who um, don't worry, listener, he's he's still around. We haven't upset him. We, we we've just um, given him a break because I, I guess he's watching Super Bowl football or something. I don't know anyway. But um, he, he'll be back with us soon. Uh, but I, I feel Patrick, there'd be a challenge lab in here somewhere, wouldn't there? This sort of you know getting working your different presenting students with a, a range of different ways of finding a relatively simple measurement or what they think of as a relatively simple measurement uh, in different ways and working out who can who can get the most precise. maybe you could combine that with a density practical and sort of challenge people to use the eureka cam method to use the measuring the the size of the cube method and all these things to come out with the most accurate uh, measurement of the density of a piece of copper or something like that or a cube of copper you know it'd be a nice thing to do wouldn't it it would. I love Patrick's challenge labs, and yeah, yeah we hopefully will get him on soon. Mm, yeah, and and I think you know that that would be quite a nice um, ni- nice challenge to get to give to them, and bringing that sort of element of oh, you know, who can get the very, very, very most accurate. Uh, the, the, and I, I hesitate to say best because that, that's a, a bit of a loaded term, isn't it? Here? But the, you know, the, the the best measurement of of density from the equipment that they've got in front of them. I foresee challenges though, because how do you tell they're right? Well, it's a, there's a book value, isn't there, to, for you know density of copper which you compare to? Yeah, there you? is. There's book value. That's another thing. I mean, book values of resistivity, and I do resistivity of copper every year, and it's nowhere near the official resistivity. <laughs> Complete nonsense. Yeah, I always think resistivity and anything to do with the wire. So the same was true with young modulus as well. When you do that, the, the book value is all over the shop. But that's basically because you're you're dealing with a a piece of um, material in which edge effects are, are huge. Um, so. Edge effects, I should think they're alloys as well, the, the copper wires you get. I shouldn't think they're pure either. Absolutely right. That's the thing. You know, if they're commercial copper wire, they're not worried about purity. They're not sitting there going, no. oh, you know, physics students might be using this to measure. The re- they're, they're more concerned <laughs> with just making it with intolerances for the cheapest possible. But the glycerol, I mean, that's, mm. that is has a chemical formula. It was pure glycerol. So that has a book value. That And it did work. It was, you know, I had, you know, I had the... the viscosity to three sig figs ah, very good we so, like it and it, it was it was it was staggering how good it was well i always love your crazy sort of measurement things that you do which we've talked about before and and i always bring up from about every three podcasts i think uh, is the how long's a piece of string practical the one where you do you know you ask them to to measure a piece of string and you give them doctored rulers which is you know a great idea and a great way to start talking about how you shouldn't trust your measuring instruments and you must check and you must you know repeat and you must check for your precision and check for your accuracy you know you must do those things boom i've gone full circle well robin i think we we could stop there i hope we haven't upset too many lovers of eureka cans but neither of us are a great fan well it serves yeah. a purpose well this is it and I, I, I hesitate to say that i'm not a great fan because it is it, it's just you know it is just grist for the mill isn't it i think it's just another thing that you can talk about in terms of well 
should you be skeptical about this result? Should you think about it? But I think that, that my problem with it is we introduce it in year nine or 10 when perhaps they're not fully equipped with, with the understanding of precision and accuracy to work through it. So no disrespect to Eureka cans. And I, I'm sorry, you know, if you come from a long, long line of people who from, I don't know, if you're descended from the inventor of the Eureka can, <laughs> Mr. Can, I guess, uh, I'm really sorry about that. So I, I, I realised what we should call this podcast Robin, <laughs> two dense objects. It's, it's perfect. <laughs> I think it's spot on. Don't worry, listener. We will get a guest on. <laughs> we will one day. All one of them day. are asleep when we phone. We can't understand why. <laughs> we were talking about this before. We got four people who were trying to line up, but they're all keen to come on. It's just getting the dates right. Absolutely. Okay. Right. Well, thank you very much, Robin. Thanks, Thomas. Catch you next week. Thank you for listening to the Physics Teaching Podcast. The podcast is presented by Robin Griffiths and me, Thomas W.P. It's also produced and edited by me, Thomas W.P. It's not too late to give us ideas for teaching momentum, so please tweet them, hashtag TPTPMomentum. Thanks for listening, and we'll speak to you after half-term. <laughs>